0: In London's subway system, where the train meets the platform, three big words are painted on the very edge. Anyone know what they are? Mind the gap. Mind the gap. The gap is that space between the platform and the train, and if you don't mind it, your foot or more will drop into the gap. that phrase fits lots of situations and it fits the scripture for today. So the gap that we're minding today is that between worthless religion and worthwhile religion. We're working towards the last statement in James's passage today. Verses 26 and 27 of his first chapter he says, if any think they are religious And do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. Religion that is worthwhile, or as he says, pure and undefiled before God the Father, is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained, by the world. In a broad sense, I think worthless religion has as its goal relieving our own anxiety. It is self-centered. Worthwhile religion builds and strengthens a community, whether it's a community of faith or a whole nation. In James' terminology, the gap is between God's royal law the worldly law and last week we looked at Ephesians 6 where we and we talked about the evil forces that are at work around us and do their best to make us stay selfish today we're minding the gap between selfish and selfless we're minding the gap between our basest desires and our responsibility to act in a manner that transforms our world into a better place. Ralph L. Woods told this story. An ambitious farmer, unhappy about the yield of his crops, learned about a highly recommended new seed corn, and he bought some, and he produced a crop that was so abundant his neighbors were astonished, and, he, and the neighbors asked him to sell them a portion of the new seed. But the farmer was afraid. He was afraid that he would lose the profitable, competitive advantage, and so he refused. The second year, the new seed did not produce as good a crop, and when the third-year crop was still worse, it dawned upon the farmer that his prized corn was being pollinated by the inferior corn, the inferior grade of corn from his neighbor's fields. Our selfishness does not affect only ourselves. Only ourselves. Brene Brown said, We pretend that what we do doesn't have an effect on other people. But we know that it does. We know it. We just don't want to admit it. And James agrees with her and and what we, what we know, that we are all among a web of connections. And so he offers us guidance and hope. In his short letter of six chapters, I think he has like a hundred different things that he tells us to do, a hundred different imperatives. We have a few of those in today's passage, but They're all throughout his letter. He's offering us guidance, and he's offering us hope for what a transformed life looks like. The letter was written not to a particular congregation like Ephesians or Corinthians or Galatians, but to a broader and wider audience. It's written for everyone who seeks to follow Jesus, which makes it applicable for us today as well. Jesus is actually mentioned by name only twice in the book. But it's very much about God and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He is the cornerstone of the construction, not just of this letter, but of the whole community and perhaps of the whole world. In our world, though, of persecution, that of the first century, that of the 21st century, where corruption and persecution and evil are rampant. Here's what James says. Welcome with meekness. Not weakness, but welcome with meekness, humility, the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. In this passage and others on which we'll reflect during September, James teaches us how to reduce the gaps in our lives between what we say and what we do, to transform our uncertain and frustrating lives into a solid structure of faith. Be doers of the word, he says, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they're like those who look at themselves in a mirror and then they walk away, they immediately forget what they look like. So deception comes into play. But those who look into the perfect law or the word of God, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget what they saw in the mirror, but doers who act, they will be blessed. Blessed. In their doing. Worthless religion uses words to ease our anxieties. Like cozy in a real estate advertisement means a house is small. Christians have our own lingo. Here are a few of them according to an article in Eternity magazine. If you didn't know these, these are what I call Christianese. Share. Christians don't tell, they share. We share. We don't criticize, we don't give, we don't testify, we don't talk, we share. Here's another one. Opportunity to have a part. Let me give you an opportunity to have a part in this ministry. This is what radio preachers say when they want you to give money. Further the ministry. It's another way of saying, let's keep this baby afloat. Do not deceive yourselves or others with words because the church too often is known for the gap between our words and our actions. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning and my blood pressure went up as I was hearing about some of those TV preachers. And then I realized that I shouldn't be worried about those TV preachers. I should be worried about this preacher right here. So I'm going to offer a suggestion about words and actions. And this is just based on my observation. I haven't had this experience, but I think it would be helpful for us to hear this. Christians can be really good at worthless words. So, if I am lying in a hospital bed, hooked up to IVs with a terminal illness, and you come to visit me, please don't tell me that everything will be okay. If I'm at the funeral home grieving the death of my husband or my child, don't tell me that everything will be okay. You know, maybe just don't use words at all. Existentially, I know that everything's going to be okay. I've been singing He's Got the Whole World in His Hands for over four decades now. And I believe that God will make everything okay in the end. But lying in that hospital bed or standing beside that casket, I'm less worried about what death looks like than what life will be like for those I'm leaving behind, or those being left behind. And so this is where be not hearers of the word, but doers who act comes into play. Wash my family's clothes. Take them a meal. Weed the sidewalks, pray for them. If you do come by and tell me everything's going to be okay, then go home and look in a mirror and reflect, literally. Look at what you see and think about what you said and ask, me, ask yourself, was I trying to relieve my own anxiety or was I doing something to actually help? When you walk away, will you forget that you saw the image of God in that mirror? If it was a full length mirror, will you forget that you are looking at the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? Verse 25 in James 1 But those who look into the perfect law or word of God, the law of liberty, of freedom, and persevere being not hearers who forget but doers who act they will be blessed in their doing it's a strange balance between words and with act and actions worthless religion uses words to ease our anxiety worthwhile religions uses words well and often sparingly mind the gap. An admonition attributed to St. Francis of Assisi has become nearly a cliche, but it's still succinct enough to remember when we're talking about the book of James. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Archie Smith Jr. writes about James that he was a keen observer of human nature. He paid close attention to the details of everyday living. He noticed the generous acts, the small gifts, the gestures we use, and the words that we use. And he knew that such small acts were the nuts and bolts of everyday life, holding together the scaffold on which we build community and the social order. Because that's a little too intellectual for me, I'm going to read part of it again. He knew that such small acts are the nuts and bolts of everyday life holding together the scaffold on which we build community and the social order. Let's go back to the last verse of today's passage. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The Lord's Supper calls us back to a place of purity. And when we find that cleansing in our hearts and our spirits, when we then are unstained once again, then we more easily show acts of love and mercy to others. Whether it's orphans, whether it's widows, whether it's partners, whether it's coworkers, whether it's parents, whether it's children, we have a greater capacity for mercy when we recognize the mercy that has been so powerful in our own lives. The altar today is covered with symbols of hospitality. The table is set for everyone, because we all have gaps in our lives. It is set for those of us who have not bridled our tongues, for those of us who have looked in the mirror with pleasure or disdain, for those of us who wonder whether religious, religion is worthless. This table is set for you. It's set for For all of us, hospitality. Hospitality is who God is. God sees our gaps and our hypocrisy and welcomes us all the same. And so, like lemon sorbet cleanses your palate after a meal, let the Lord's Supper cleanse your spirit as we share it together. May we pray. Holy God, you offer us this bread, this juice, as a reminder of your sustenance for us. As we receive it today, let us remember you and all that you have given. In your name we pray. Amen.